dive into your word. Lord, I pray that you be with Pastor Joe as he delivers your word today, dear God. I pray that as we continue on in the book of 1 Thessalonians in our series called Thriving, dear God, that we would truly thrive in our relationship with you, that we would desire to put you first and foremost in everything that we do and say, dear God, to bring all glory to you. So please be with Joe as he delivers your word. And for me next week when I delivered the word, dear God, please just help us to, to really bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jeff. Man, I hope that guy doesn't start drinking coffee. <sighs> We're going to be in trouble, right? Yeah, if, he, <laughs> if you're at night to shine, partway through the night, the electricity went out because it was runoff generators. One of the generators went down. And so they put Jeff on a treadmill and connected it to the <laughs> generator. We got enough electricity for next year. Pretty crazy, right? Well, glad you're all here this morning. It's very full in here. Uh, I know we've had some parking issues. I found out um, a couple weeks ago, a guy came here, couldn't find parking. He parked at Burger King and walked across the overpass here. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on who's preaching. Uh, I don't know if I'd uh, If it was Charles, I'd probably have just went home. I, I don't know. It's, let's see. Anyway, yeah, my name is Joe, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, grateful that you're here with us this morning. And uh, I, I want to ask you this. Have you ever tried to share wisdom with somebody because maybe you've, you've been through a similar experience and you know how it's probably going to go and you try to share your wisdom with them and then they just do the wrong thing anyway? And you're like, yeah, I've got kids, right? You know what I'm talking. This baby agrees with me, right? It's like, and you're like, yeah, I've, I've experienced that. I have kids, okay? Because parents, we wish we could take the wisdom and the life experience that's in our brains and transfer it to our kids' brains through verbal communication, right? Uh, but a lot of times you're, you'll find out that they're just gonna learn things the hard way and that's how it's gonna be real to them. Uh, but there's a better way to live. You know, there's a better way. When we, when we take wisdom seriously and act upon it, it can save you a lot of trouble. And so there's this, some wisdom here this morning that Paul is gonna be sharing with this, this church in Thessalonica and also with us. And it would be good for us to listen and to consider it, and it would be even better for us to act upon it. And so we're going to continue our series. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. So if you brought your Bible, go ahead and open it there. Uh, feel free to use your phone if you'd like to read along. We'll have the passage on the screen for you. So here's <clears throat> excuse me, what it says. Paul's final advice. So he's wrapping this up. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. And so Paul here, like I said, is starting to wrap up his first letter. And at this point in his life, Paul has had some experience. <clears throat> He's experienced some things and witnessed some things in his life, both good and bad. Now, writing this church in Thessalonica, Paul has some reason for concern because this is a young church, and it's existing in a culture that, that was living in a way that certainly was not honoring to God. This church is being persecuted for their faith, and so it stands to reason that they had a lot fighting against them. 
Well, Paul loves these people, and, he want, and, he, and, and the last thing he wants is to see them struggle with things he's seen before. It's as if he's saying, hey, be careful. Uh, I've seen some things, and you need to tread lightly here. You need to be very careful. It's, and, and so even though Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, I wonder if he was writing to us as a church today, if he would also share some of these things and encourage us in some of these things. Because we want to make sure that we continue to be a church that thrives. Yes, we, in numbers, right, we, we never want to say, like, no, we've got enough people. We want people to come and hear the good news of Jesus. So certainly we'd love to grow in numbers, but we want to grow in depth. Depth in our relationship with Jesus and depth in our relationships with each other. And just imagine if we get this right. Imagine what would happen not only inside these walls, but outside these walls. Imagine what would happen in our families, in our schools, in our communities, and around the world. Man, imagine. Let's find out what that might look like. So, he says, dear brothers and sisters, right? And when he says, dear brothers and sisters, he's not talking to his his immediate family. He's talking to the family of God. You know, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have placed your your faith in him. Uh, in, in, in the book of John, it's, uh, Jesus, or John writes, to those who believed in him and to those who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. So if this is you, you are one of these brothers and sisters if you're a follower of Jesus. Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love. Why? Because of their work. And live peacefully with each other. So in order to thrive, Paul's going to remind people that they need to have healthy relationships between them and their leaders. And now, I'll admit, when I first read this, I feel a little awkward teaching it, you know? Does this mean I'm going to stand on this stage declaring, like, hey, I'm your pastor. You must honor and respect me. Well, not exactly, all right? Because this is what it looks like according to Paul. This word leader here, all right, was a word that, that had several meanings in the original language. It could mean to teach, to direct, to protect, to provide, or to manage. A few different things, all right? So just like in our church, in the Thessalonian church, there were people who were given specific responsibilities. These were people who had been called by God to care for the church and for the affairs of the church. And it makes me think of people in our church, leaders in our church who are at the front of the charge. makes me think of, Eric Gonzalez, who's leading our high school and middle school students. But not only that, being a leader in our community, being a part of the school board and, and coaching, um, coaching sports, right? He's helping middle school and high school students navigate the difficulties of life and encouraging them to place their faith in Jesus. And I was in student ministry for 10 years, and that can be a very, very difficult job. I think about Melissa and April who run our chapel kids and who love our little ones and care for their families. I think about Sonia and Meg and Spencer who faithfully lead the charge of worship, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week, working with the teams, practicing, rehearsing. I mean, let's be honest, we come here on Sunday morning and the music's awesome, right? But that, they don't just show up on Sunday and just start playing, right? There are hours and hours and hours that go into the preparation of what they do on Sunday. And Sunday morning is just a reflection of the, of the time that they've put in worshiping the Lord through their practice, through their rehearsal. I think about Stacy, uh, who, who leads our volunteer, our volunteer lead, making sure people are welcomed and they're informed and they have a place to belong. 
I think about Mark in the back who often goes unnoticed but is doing an incredible job training up young people to learn how to make all of this work, how to make the screens and the lights and the sound and everything so that there's no distractions, that you just get to come and worship the Lord. I think about small group leaders opening their homes. My wife and I have been a part of a small group for about a year and a half now, and it is absolutely life transforming. And I'll tell you what, if you're not in a small group, you are missing out. Because this isn't just a Bible study, we show up on Monday, see you next week. No, we know each other, we spend time together, we celebrate together, we struggle together, we know each other as families and our kids, and it's just amazing, right? That they would open their home and pray for and encourage the people that they love so well. I think about the elders of our church, the group of men who, through very uh, intentional prayer and study of God's word, make sometimes, often, or make sometimes very difficult decisions about where we're going as a church. And this list could go on and on. And I'm here to tell you that we are blessed. We are blessed. And Paul tells these leader, that these leaders, that they work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. He knows how hard they work. He knows the weight that they carry. Uh, you know, position, these positions in the church are not for the faint of heart. The role of leadership in the church is difficult. This is the most difficult thing I've ever done. The weight of these roles as leaders, they affect you spiritually and emotionally and physically. We walk through people through some of the greatest celebrations of their lives, but we also walk through people with people through some of the darkest moments and seasons of their life. And the weight of that can, be, can make you very weary, you know, with, with the spiritual battles that we fight are never done, are, are real, and, and, and in ministry, you're never done. And I see at times the exhaustion on the faces of our leaders and, and even the tears. I see them clinging to Jesus. I see them continuing to come in and to sing and to worship and to continue to follow Jesus through challenges that would make anyone crumble. They keep going, and they keep their eyes on Jesus, and you should be very, very proud of them. And I think that's why Paul is saying, show them great respect, sorry, show them great respect because of their hard work, because of their wholehearted work for the Lord. And let me go forward. And this word work right here means, means to, to exhort, like to give, work is like energy, exerting energy to the point of fatigue, Right? And, and he says to follow them because of that. So this isn't just like, okay, uh, it's not respect and love that is given because of their title or because of their status. No, it's because of their work that this comes from a heart of gratitude and care. And I've known churches <clears throat> that did not have this kind of relationship with their leaders. And maybe you have too. Churches that fight their leaders, they attack them, they go around them, they carry this us versus them mentality. They say they're praying for them. Yeah, they're praying against them or they're praying at them. They're not praying for them. And I'll tell you that, that the churches like this are not places that are thriving. They may have a lot of people coming, but they're not thriving. And I'm not bragging, but it's different here. It's different here. I've, I've, I've talked to staff. I mean, this is the church that I've known. You know, this is the only church that I've, that I've worked at that I've been a part of. Uh, but I've talked to some of our other staff that have come from other churches, and, and I've heard about the miserable experiences that they've had in places like that where it wasn't thriving. I have seen you continue to uh, encourage your leaders. And so could I just challenge you and encourage you today? You know, when you see 
Pastor Jeff, or you see Eric Gonzalez, or Melissa, and April, Stacy, Mark, Sonia, man, continue to share your hearts with them. Let them know that they're making an impact for Jesus in their lives. Continue to encourage and support them. Continue to send notes and emails. Those things make a difference in mutual in here. But when our relationships are strong, when our leaders are working hard and there's mutual respect, then peace will be the result of that. Peace that ultimately points people to Jesus. When they see something different. Most people don't live with peace in their, in their lives, right? But here's what happens when we get it right, because peace leads to safety. And when this is a safe place, families thrive. Peace leads to honesty. It leads to authenticity. Peace leads to us not just playing church, right? That you pull in the parking lot on a Sunday morning and you just have to plaster on a smile because you don't want people to really know what's going on. Or you go to your small group and you're just going through the motions and you're, not, and you're, afraid, and you're afraid to be open. Peace leads to care. Love for one another thrives. Peace leads to giving. Generosity thrives. I mean, I think about night to shine. I don't know if you were there, but wow. It didn't even look like the chapel on the inside. I mean, over 300 volunteers, all of the resources it took to make that happen, that's because of your generosity. And that's absolutely incredible. And there's one more thing, though. Paul says that for a church to thrive, people must have healthy relationships with their leaders. But then he turns the attention to the need for healthy relationships among the people. Here's what he says. Brothers and sisters, again, talking to us, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Man, that's quite a list, right? Is it going to be hard? Yeah. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. It's hard because we're people. People with different backgrounds, different experiences, different, different economic statuses, different points of views, different political views, and we all have opinions. And with all of that going on, things will get messy. Things will get messy. And it's easy for me to love people who think like me, agree with me, you know, just like me. Like, I like those people. Get some more of those people, right? But we know that when you get more than two people in a room together... Well, there, there's going to be conflict at times. Yet for our church to thrive and be effective at sharing the love of Christ with those outside of our walls, it's critical that that love is first reflected on the inside of our walls. Why would somebody <clears throat> want to come to a place where they just see dissension and division? They're like, I got enough of that at work. I got enough of that at school. I got enough of that in my family. I don't want to have it on Sunday morning either. I don't need to add division and dissension and strife to my world right now. So how does that get accomplished? Well, here's what Paul suggests. It's kind of humorous. He says, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. <clears throat> and he's not just suggesting here. He's pleading. He's commanding this. <clears throat> and the word lazy jumped out to me because the word can actually mean irresponsible, right? And, and it, author Mark Howell helped me to understand a little bit more of what, G, of what Paul is saying here. He says, Today, the irresponsible take on many forms, from the gifted pew sitter, well, we don't have pews, so the gifted chair sitter who never gets involved, to the opinionated busybody who criticizes everyone. These are the ones who undermine the authority of their leaders by stirring up dissension, 
refuse to use their spiritual gifts while critiquing those who do. And the list goes on, but I'll, I'll just stop there. So why was Paul so strong with his words here? Because he knew that these attitudes had, had the potential to negatively impact the church. Not willing to use your gifts. You know, maybe you're here and you know, like you have a gift. I don't know what that might be. Maybe caring for kids. Um, maybe you're a musician. Maybe you're a public speaker. Maybe, it, it could be a billion different things, right? But, but you're just like, nah, it's not. From, I'm busy, right? I'm an introvert. You've, you've got your reasons. Uh, or or it's, it's the, the person who, who just criticizes and stirs up dissension. You know, maybe you've got some very strong opinions about what goes on here. Maybe you've got some very strong opinions about a leader here. And you talk about them, <clears throat> but you don't talk to them. Or maybe you're frustrated with some of the things that we're doing or not doing. This is so interesting. In student ministry, I'd have parents come up to me quite often, and they'd be like, look, I think you're doing a really good job, but I think you guys really need to add this event or this program. And I would say, man, I wonder if, like, because you're so passionate about this, that God is calling you to lead this. And then I never heard from him again. I don't know. So weird. I guess it wasn't that big of a deal, right? They just assume, like, well, you're the paid guy. Here's more stuff we want you to do, right? <clears throat> the path of least resistance is to complain about something but refuse to do anything about it. These attitudes cause division, and they can undermine God, God's work if it's unchecked. So Paul says we need to warn them, so here's your warning. And if that's you, you need to turn from that. Then Paul goes on to say that if we're going to have healthy relationships in the church, we need, we need to encourage those who are timid. When I think of timid, I often think of people that are shy, but I don't really know if this is the case, right? Because Paul is specific about, specifically talking about people who are discouraged. And there's a danger of having the discouraged alongside of the lazy in a church, right? The, the, where the irresponsible are typically those who who have a lot of self-confidence and need for attention, the discouraged are those who often lack self-confidence and hang out around the edges. You see the danger here, right? Now, the discouraged have usually been hurt, often by the church. They carry fear, they carry hesitancy, and rightly so. And if that's you, I just want you to know that if you've ever been hurt by this church, we're sorry. And ever was never done with intention. And I want you to know that you belong here. And I hope that this can be a place of encouragement for you. And if you are not timid, if you are not discouraged, then you have an opportunity. In fact, I would say you have an obligation here. Charles, Charles Swindle says this, the gift of encouragement may be wrapped in an affirming word, a gentle touch, a smile, or a shoulder to lean on. It may simply be our presence. If you are someone who is not discouraged, you have something to offer that might just change someone's life and their eternity. You can, what you can offer could be what someone needs to move closer to Jesus or even just start with Jesus. But it's up to you to step up. And Paul goes on to take tender care of those who are weak. These are not people who are discouraged. These are not the people who who are lazy. These are people who at times lack strength. And most likely he's referring to spiritual weakness here. And the city of Thessalonica was no place for the weak. Just like our culture today, 
The weak get trampled. It's a dog-eat-dog world. And this is not to say that the weak are less than. Because there's moments in life where we all lack strength. We all need help. And I hate this. I hate feeling weak. I hate being weak. I want to be needed and not needy. But God will at times allow me to experience the consequences, the consequences of my uh, alleged strength so that I really understand how much I need him. Right? Because you may feel like a strong person. You may feel like you're autonomous. But God, in, in his grace, will allow you to get to the end of your resources so that you understand that you are completely 100% dependent upon him. I think about this, like, um, you know, if you've got a, a toddler, right, they always want to try and do stuff by themselves. Man, God bless you if you're in that stage where your toddler wants to start tying his or her own shoes. I mean, you got, you're going to have time on your hands, right? If your kid's like, I'm going to tie my own shoes, you're like, cool, I'm going to read the Old Testament while you're doing that, right? And you want to intervene, right? Or your kid wants to do something and you've told them not to do it. Or they want to do something and you try to help them, they don't need your help, right? And so at times, you, as a parent, you got to take your hands off of it and be like, all right, you do it then. And then they find out they can't do it. And you see that little head peek around the corner. You're like, I need help. That's what God does. He will at times allow you to get to the end of your resources to realize that you can't do this on your own. But you need him and you need others. Last Sunday... I was preaching, so sorry, you got me two weeks in a row. I was, I was getting ready to preach. I woke up that morning, and I didn't even know how I was going to get on this stage and, and do this, right? I was having a horrible weekend. It had nothing to do with the donuts, okay? It was just <laughs> maybe a part of it. I was just emotionally, <clears throat> I was a hot mess. I just was like, I, I just wanted to stay home and just go back to bed. I was having a horrible morning. And so and before the service, we we're in the green room, which is a room off to the side here where the worship team, the tech team, and those who are leading from the stage will take time to pray. And, they are all, and we're all praying, and they get done, and I'm just, I'm just like, guys, I'm having a terrible morning. I need you to pray for me. And I hated doing that, right? I'm, like, I'm the leader here. I'm supposed to be strong, right? And I just sat down, and they came, and they placed their hands on my shoulders, and they just prayed some of the most encouraging words over me. And I'm telling you that it literally changed that morning. Had they not done that, I don't know how I've been able to do this, right? But I had to be willing to realize that I was weak, and I needed someone who was strong to come alongside of me. We're to hold tightly onto and support those who are weak. And so if you're here today and you're strong, or you're in a season of strength, um, maybe you've been following Jesus faithfully for a long time, and you've experienced his peace and his patience and his grace through difficult times, it is you who needs to support those who are struggling. But you have to be willing. You have to remember that you are not above those who are weak because you can't wash feet from a distance. You can't even wash feet standing up. You have to be willing to get down to foot washing level. Will you do it? And then Paul says, be patient with everyone. And I'm like, all right, I'm out. Patient, patience is not my strength, right? Like, I don't want you to speed. Just go the speed limit, okay? I got places to be, right? 
Or like if I'm hangry and you're slow at a buffet, like I'll kick you a little, like I'm not, I'm just, hurry up. Like it's not that hard to operate tongs, let's go. So as you can see, patience is not my strength. But this is not optional. As a church navigating life with the irresponsible, the discouraged, and the weak, patience is, is imperative, it's a must. But how do we do this, right? Because you can't just go out and be like, I'm going to be so patient today and just try as hard as you can, right? Let me know how that goes, right? I think it needs to come from a place of understanding of the great patience that God has shown all of us who are completely undeserving of it. The prophet Joel speaks these words about God. He says, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. Slow to anger. When you understand how patient God has been with you, when you have received so much from God, how do you not extend that to others? Every time I'm impatient with somebody, it is because I have forgotten that God has been infinitely patient with me. And then finally, Paul says, See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always do good to each other and to all people. So I don't care if you're inside or outside of these walls. Getting along with people is always a challenge, right? We're a church filled with people who possess a sinful nature, right? Selfishness, self-centeredness, control, insecurity, pride. And even church people are prone to have our old selves creep up when we least expect it. It's been said that the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners, right? We're all broken. We are a messy group. I love this church, but we're a messy group of imperfect people, and I'm leading the charge. (laughs) So Paul says to them and us, this has nothing to do with whether someone deserves your kindness. It has everything to do with the pursuit of goodness and following Jesus. If someone has caused you harm, you are not obligated to return the favor. There is no win in revenge. And we're not talking about just people in the church because Paul ramps it up even more. He says to all people, to all people, not just those in these walls. And I've said this to people and they say, Pastor Joe, but you don't, no, they don't deserve it. And I would say, no, they don't. And you might say, but you don't know what they did to me. And I'd say, you're right, I don't. And you might say that they hurt me. And I would say, I know that. But doesn't that make you, grace, but doesn't that make you grateful for the gospel? The good news? That even in our brokenness, God, God loved us. Jesus loved us. Did we deserve it? No. Did we, did, did we commit sin against God? Yes. Did we hurt God? Yes. Even though every single one of us has turned our backs on God, he has never left us. Even though what we deserve is eternal separation from God and each other and everything that is good, even though we deserve death, Jesus has given us life. And not just life, but life to the full. And not just life here, but life forever. And isn't that our desire to be more like Jesus? If it is, then it starts with offering that same grace to other people 
even, and I would say especially to those who have hurt you. And so I, sh- I, I agree with Paul's concerns because I have seen and experienced the pitfalls that can happen if we are not vigilant in our efforts. And I agree with Paul's love and care because I have a love for this church, a great love for you, that can ignite, it can keep me up. And so I pray that, that God would turn our hearts to himself. And though we fail, though we, we, though we tend to wander like lost sheep, I pray that a prayer of gratitude and praise for his grace, for his patience, his care, in his strength, in his mercy, in his love to us who don't deserve it. I pray that we would be people who reflect that love by the way we treat our relationships with our leaders and with each other, both inside and outside of these walls. And I pray above all else, we would seek Jesus and give him all glory and honor and praise. So to do that this morning, would you stand with me as we sing, Come Thou Fountain.